Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you're listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. And I'm here with my friend and colleague, Steve Weens, who is whoop, whoop. <laughs> who is the <laughs> pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're glad to be back together talking about the season of Lent. And we're talking about Lent for leaders this time, and specifically being in the wilderness with God, being with God in the wilderness. So we're using as our overarching scripture, the passage from Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, which does give us the structure for Lent. And that is Jesus' journey into the wilderness and his interactions with the evil one there and his temptations and also the ways in which he was strengthened by God in that experience. And so we're staying within that experience through the whole entire season of Lent, but looking at the Old Testament scriptures and the Psalms to actually give us pictures and illustrations of some of the temptations that we as leaders experience, and especially making application to where we as leaders find ourselves today. We're in a very unique time as leaders. It actually feels like its own wilderness, right, Steve? Yes. We've talked about the fact that many of us are tired. We've been working really, really hard. Maybe we're even wondering if there's any goodness left for us in our pastoral calls. We're needing for God to strengthen us. At the same time, we know that we're weak. And so we also are subject to temptation. And so we want to look at, this, at the, the temptations that we as leaders experience and also look at practices that help us to find our way through. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the patriarchs, uh, the Old Testament scripture in the second week of Lent in cycle C is about Abraham, one of our patriarchs. And Steve is going to read this story for us. And one of the temptations is contained very strongly within this story. See if you can find it. <laughs> this is from Genesis 15 verses one through six. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Steve? What is the temptation that you see in this passage, the temptation for leaders specifically? Well, I think it's pretty great because, first of all, God gives Abram this promise that he will have children, that he'll have a great nation. But it's that was back in, I think, chapter 12, and now we're at chapter 15. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> and so... Um, Abram says, God, what will you give me? Because I'm still childless uh, and you've given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house is, is to be my heir. <laughs> so, so Abram is saying to God, in, in effect, your plan hasn't worked out so well. So here's my plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. Your plan was that it would be my child. Uh, but since I continue childless, let's just throw in plan B. 
a slave from my house is to be my heir. I'm going to help you out, God, because your plan mm-hmm. is taking a little too long. Yes. Oh, I resemble that. <laughs> oh, I hate it, but it's so true. This it's so tempting, such, too. Yeah, it is such a leader-like thing to do to say, God, yeah. since your plan is not working out so well, I'm going to help you along. I mean, isn't that what leader types do? Exactly. <laughs> we exactly. kind of have this backup. And if God's, if God's way of doing things isn't going to work out, then we can bring our own human effort to it. And wow, I feel so convicted by this passage. I really do because I laugh at Abraham. And at the same time, I know that I could do the very same thing, you know? Um, a hundred percent. And I wonder even using imagination, the scripture doesn't say this, but I wonder if it's like, is this partly Abram thinking, wait a minute, did I hear that right? That I was going to, you know, that I really was going to have children the yeah. normal way, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or, or maybe God didn't say that to me. Maybe I need to, maybe I need, maybe I need to come up with a plan B. I mean, I've been there for sure where I've doubted yeah. what, where I've doubted what one of my mentors said, I've doubted in the dark, what I knew in the light, mm-hmm. you know? So when things get dark, time passes, it, it doesn't happen the way you thought it was. That's right. And you know, then, or it yeah. takes longer. Like in this case, in this case, it was taking longer yeah, than what Abraham could understand or perhaps even tolerate. Right. right. So he ran out of patience. I, yep. I think there's some impatience here as well. And I think that's something else that leader types are really subject to. Like we want things to happen right away. We want things to happen when we've planned for them to happen. Waiting is not easy for leader types at all. So when God's will is taking longer than what we had planned, then we try to get in there and, you know, hurry it up. So I just think there's so many things going on here that are the temptations of a leader to to help God out when it doesn't seem like God's plan's working all that well, to help God out when we're impatient because God is not working fast enough for our, you know, for our pleasure. And then we come up with these solutions that are human made. They are absolutely human made. And of course, that's what happens here too. And there's a world of difficulty that is created by Abraham's plan B, if you will, right? Yes. Like his human solution really in the end was so destructive to this family, you know, um, and to, to, you know, his, the slave girl that he impregnated and then her son and then nations after that, I mean, just a world of difficulty because either Abraham didn't believe it was going to happen at all because it had taken so long, or he just ran out of patience. And I think that's so instructive for us when, if you put it in the context of he's still just trying to do the right thing, he's still actually trying to follow what he thinks is his, uh, his call from God. Mm -hmm. He's just impatient. Yeah. I remember this is a few years ago, but I was pushing for something at our church. And I say that very intentionally. I was pushing for something. Mm-hmm. I was using my voice to push an agenda that was a good agenda. I mean, it, it honestly really was. But in my monthly meeting with our elder chair, the elder chair at that time said to me, Steve, I'm going to ask you to stop talking about that. <laughs> because no, she, did. she, she just really said, I'm going to ask you to stop talking about that mm-hmm. because if this issue is going to be an issue for our church, it needs to come from the people and not you. Cause if it mm-hmm. just keeps coming from you, it's going to feel top down and power over. 
And I was feeling impatient about it. And I mm -hmm. did feel like it was the right thing. And I did feel passionate. And so I saw nothing wrong with me pushing the agenda. Mm -hmm. But she did. And, and at first I was like, what are, are you, are you trying to edit me? <laughs> you know, from the, are you silencing me? But she was so wise and so right. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped and it, it did eventually come up from the community and it came up in a really good communal right way. Yeah. So I really get impatience when it comes to even doing a good thing, you know, that's he's, right actually not trying to do an evil thing here. He's just not doing it in the way that God is leading him to do it. He's doing right. it in his way. Well, timing is everything, isn't it? I mean, yes. it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a trite phrase, but it's actually really true that even when something's right, timing is everything. And there is a right time and a time that maybe is not so right or a time when if we push it, it's going to be more difficult than it would be if we could be patient, like you said, and wait for it to come up from the grassroots a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I feel like timing is in this story as well. God's timing wasn't working out for Abraham. He wanted it to happen quicker. He couldn't believe it was actually going to happen and he couldn't wait for God's timing, you know? And I, I think that's a, a peculiar t uh, temptation of leader types is that they want things to happen exactly when they want them to happen. And there is a work of God that needs to be done when we are tempted in that way, you know, tempted to bring our own solutions to a situation that God has got under control. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of Father Thomas Keating and his teachings on centering prayer and his teachings on the human condition. And that actually is the title of a wonderful little book, uh, The Human Condition. And that the human condition is that we all have these human-made programs for our own happiness, safety, security, approval, affection, all the things that we as human beings legitimately need and want. So everything I just listed is legitimate, like the need for security, the need for survival, the need for love and affection, uh, the need for power and control and a sense of agency. Those are all really legitimate needs that we as human beings have. And the task of childhood and childhood development is to see those things come about and to learn that, that we can have those things. And as children, we have our ways of securing those for ourselves, especially if there's something, you know, that is needed that we're not getting, we find ways to get it. But that part of our growth in Christ, a part of our maturity is when we can see that those are childish programs for our happiness and for safety and security and survival and affection and approval and all those things. And that we're not you no know, surrendering ourselves to God, that part of the growth of, of our spirituality is to learn to trust in God for those things versus trusting in our human made programs for all of those things. That is a significant aspect of the, of the spiritual journey, if not the spiritual journey, you know? Oh yeah. It's learning how to surrender and trust God for what we most need in our lives. And Abraham wasn't there yet. You know, he, he was not able yet uh, to trust God for those deeply personal things that he wanted and was longing for. So I, f I find his story extremely challenging because I resonate with it so strongly. I resemble it so strongly. I resemble you know? it. <laughs> I do too. And it, it, it makes me think if you look at these stories in the scriptures as stories of people's ongoing transformation, 
how they move from here to there and how they grow and change mm -hmm. and adapt, then the Bible makes a whole lot more sense. You know, that it's not just a, a series of people making good decisions or bad decisions. It's, mm -hmm. it's the series of decisions that are made. And I love that so many foibles are mentioned along with moments of great faith, because then we can find our own transformation, our own journey of transformation within these stories. And we can say, yeah. how have I done that? And you just said, I resemble that. Well, so do I. And so does everyone listening because... Mm -hmm. And, and, and this is one of the things that I love about the Bible, actually, if, if, you know, if I can say that, is that it charts the evolution of people's faith, if you mm -hmm. really look at it. And some people don't grow very, grow very much, and others really mm -hmm. do grow quite a lot, including Abraham and Sarah. I mean, they, and they make some horrendous mistakes, as you have alluded to, which have generational impact. Mm -hmm. And so we can't walk away from that. Yeah. But we can walk toward... What is our transformational moment now when we've realized, oh, I've just tried to help out God. I've just tried to replace God's yeah. agenda with my yeah. agenda. You know, and another word that we can introduce into this conversation is the word willful. And I know you and I have used this word before, that another part of our human condition is that we tend to be quite willful in imposing our own programs for happiness, safety, security, survival, affection, approval, power, and control, that we can be quite willful in imposing our own programs and plans on the world versus surrender or another word would be willingness. But, you know, the whole, the whole spiritual journey, you use it, the idea of the journey of faith. It's, it's this journey of surrender, like yeah. literally casting oneself on the mercy of God and trusting what God's doing versus what we're going to bring about through our own willful uh, imposition, you know, of our, of our own agendas on the world. So this is a, a really deep part of the journey. And I think in in many ways, leaders are more susceptible. We can, we can actually cover it over fairly easily, you know, and spiritualize it. But I think leaders by personality are very prone to trusting in their own programs versus surrendering to God's program for, for life, mm -hmm. you know, for their life. Um, and that the whole journey is deepening this sense of surrender and learning more and more how to surrender more deeply to God and what God's doing versus what we think we're going to be doing. That's what I see here in Abraham's story. And so I've wondered if there would be a place during Lent for us to let go of that for a while, you know, to say, even, even if it's just for this week, you know, even yeah. if it's just for one week to say, I'm going to stop pushing my agenda on the world, but I'm going to wait and see what God's doing and join God in it versus continuing to push, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what you learned in that experience with your elder chair. She actually yep. served it right up to you and you were able to quote surrender to that. Right. Took me, took me a minute, but mm -hmm. yeah, maybe. but I did, but I really did. <laughs> I know though. you did. I mean, and it was good. And good for her for bringing it, you know, like that's right. I, she was the kind of person that it didn't seem like it was very hard for her to bring those things to me. Cause oh. that was not the only thing. <laughs> moment where she did <laughs> good um, for her <laughs> yeah good for her for real but maybe you're the kind of person where it's really hard like it's mm -hmm. really, it's actually really hard to bring that kind of word to someone that might be really helpful and i think that's a very aside to what we're talking about but like sometimes we need to surrender by listening to a word from someone sometimes we need to say the word you know mm -hmm. so that someone else can 
move from being willful to surrendering. So, so if that's the temptation to help out God or come up with our standard human solutions to solve whatever problem we're facing, what is the practice, Ruth, that we're, that will bring us Mm -hmm. towards surrender? Yeah. Well, I'm sure there are a few, but one that I've been thinking about, and I've talked about this before, is the practice of centering prayer. And I want to say the practice of centering prayer specifically as defined and described by by Father Thomas Keating, where he describes the human condition, but then he describes centering prayer as a practice that enables us to consent to the will of God deep within. And so in centering prayer, it's, it's, it is being silent. And I talk about silence a lot, but I want to deepen, I want to go deeper with the practice of centering prayer because the dynamics of centering prayer really do correspond to this willfulness and to this uh, tendency that we have to trust in our own human programs. Um, because in, in centering prayer practice, you know, as, as Father Keating describes it in the 20 minute period of prayer or this 20 minute sit, you are actually through your silence and through the sacred word consenting to the will of God deep within. So it's a time of silence, but you also um, have a word. And we sometimes talk about a breath prayer, but you can also have what you might call a sacred word or a sacred phrase. And we've talked about breath prayer in our podcast before. And what he teaches is that the word itself is not as important as what the intent is in using the word. So the intent in using the word is to consent. So whenever I use the word, I'm using the word as a way of practicing consent and practicing consent to the will of God deep within. And so in centering prayer, we don't let ourselves get distracted by our own human agendas of any kind or distractions, but instead we use any distraction or any of these controlling types of impulses as an opportunity to consent even deeper, to bring the prayer word again and to use the prayer word as a way of saying to God, once again, I consent to the work of God deep within. And he also talks about the idea of the divine therapist, that when we practice centering prayer, that we are consenting to the work of the divine therapist. And in the practice of centering prayer, this undigested material of our lives, these emotional issues and things that are unresolved within us, they begin to come up to the surface. And so it can be quite uncomfortable at times. But even in this, we don't bring our own ideas and thoughts and intentions toward it. When we become aware, we still come back to the prayer word that helps us to consent to the will of God deep within. And what we're doing in that moment then is trusting that God is doing a work in us beyond what we can even be fully aware of or fully perceive. And so the the reason I'm going into this in such detail is that especially in these days when there's so much that feels out of our control as leaders and we are taxed to the limit in terms of how hard we've been thinking about things and how hard we've been thinking up solutions, ways of trying to impose some sort of order on the world that on a world that feels so chaotic, trying to do something that makes us feel in control and like we're doing yeah. something but we're relevant in some way yes, and not yes, completely yes. irrelevant that I have found that, yeah, I've been working very hard for two years, just like everybody else. And I'm tired from working at those levels. And the practice of centering prayer has felt more winsome and inviting to me than ever, because for at least 20 minutes a day, I can actually practice consenting versus imposing my will on the world. Hopefully, 
in and through that practice, then when I do come into situations where I'm expected to lead and bring ideas and things like that, um, they're coming from a different place. They're coming from a place of surrender. And I also may be able to offer them a little bit more open-handedly and open to what God might do, open to other people's ideas, open to God saying, you know what, just wait a little longer. You know, I think it would be premature to take that step yet. Let's just hold that whatever it is, I'm able to surrender to it versus imposing my will. So I have found centering prayer to be a place to practice the very dynamic that we're talking about here. This practice of consenting to God's will versus imposing my will on the world. Does that does that make any sense to you? Does that resonate with you? It really does, especially the the idea of practicing. You know, I think you might someone might think the whole goal in centering prayer is to hear a majestic word from God. Mm-hmm. And, and if that happens, great. But it typically won't. It's just mm-hmm. it's 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 a time to notice in about 150 different ways the different thoughts and patterns and distractions and monkey mind that you have. And then every time something comes up, you just gently, without judging it, you use your prayer word and you let it go again. And that's the practice mm-hmm. of consenting just in a very practical way. Your crazy, not crazy, your active mind uh, with all of its solutions that are going to pop into silence like a like a vacuum, you know, and to say no, um, it, even if that's a good idea, I'm not doing that right now. I'm returning to God's voice, God's presence through that word. Mm-hmm. And so, I really love the idea of it's it's practicing consenting. And then, if you do it enough, my experience is then it starts to become more instinctual throughout the day. You know where yeah. You'll, you'll become more and more aware of how active your mind is solving problems and differentiating between right and wrong and left and right and good and bad. And, and you just notice how busy it is. And you can say in that moment, even during the day, you can just return to love, return to peace, return to grace, whatever your word is. So I really like right. that. Well, and of course, the more active version of centering prayer is welcoming prayer. And that is the ability to do just exactly what you said. And that is to welcome the presence of God and consent to the will of God in the very real moments of our lives where we're in the hullabaloo of life with people and with others and our own emotions and the stresses and the strains. But we are able to welcome and consent, welcome the spirit of God and consent to the will of God in those moments, which does really change, I think, the quality of our presence. I think it it changes how we make decisions and from which place within us do we make decisions. It makes us much more sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit in the real moments of our lives versus just the prayer moments of our lives. So this is a powerful practice that can be brought into the more active moments of our lives as well through the practice of welcoming prayer, which is to welcome God into this mm-hmm. moment and to say, I don't have to control it. I don't have to get what I want in this moment. I can just be open to what you're bringing and what you're doing. So uh, to be able to practice this for 20 minutes a day and not just practice it, but also rest in it. Like I have found centering prayer to be very restful during a time when most of the rest of life is very hectic and busy and requires a lot from me, that the centering prayer becomes a place where I do rest in God's activity and I consent to God's activity and to what only God can do versus what I think I can do in the world, you know? 
and yeah. how I can impose my own wishes and wills on the world. So even this week to have centering prayer as a part of the way that we're creating and crafting and cultivating our own wilderness experience. I think this is a wonderful practice that we could incorporate this week and really, really focus on this week. So Ruth, really just in like in a minute or two, walk me through from minute one to minute 20. Mm -hmm. If someone really wants to practice this practically, how do they do it? Mm -hmm. Well, I, it's helpful to have a timer if you can do that one way or the other. I wish that everybody had a timer that wasn't necessarily connected to their phone, but if you can get your phone into airplane mode and then use, there's a Centering Prayer app out there that's just wonderful that will count down the 20 minutes for you. You can do timing any way that you would if you were trying to time anything. But 20 minutes is usually the the amount of time that, that we do Centering Prayer. It's, that's That would be considered a prayer period. Um I like to encourage people to get in this posture that, you know, I'm always teaching people and guiding people in, and that is this posture where you're alert, you got your feet flat on the floor, you got your back straight, um, you're not uncomfortable, but you are alert, so you don't want to be falling asleep, and you've got your hands open on your lap. And then you can begin by introducing the sacred word, whatever that is, or the prayer phrase, your breath prayer. Um, it could be as simple as my first breath prayer, which was just, here I am, Lord. I didn't know what else to say. I just knew I wanted to be present. So here I am, Lord. Or you can choose a word that's meaningful to you right now. It could be presence or love or holy one or peace or hope or, you know, anything that you might choose, anything that captures your desire right now, but also knowing that the word itself, it doesn't have to be the perfect word because it's about what the word represents. It represents consent. And so you use that word to help you to enter in to the 20 minute period. And then if you are distracted, then you allow the prayer phrase or the prayer word to bring you back. So you don't fight, you don't fight with mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. during this time, but you just, when you realize, Oh my goodness, I am so far from here. I'm out there making agendas and making plans and thinking about phone calls and whatever. Then you bring your, you just very gently bring yourself back with that prayer word. You don't judge yourself for anything. All of us get distracted. Nobody does this perfectly. So you come back as many times as you need to come back. And of course, that prayer word is expressing your willingness, your attentiveness, your consent to the presence of God deep within, to the work of God that only God can do. You're consenting. Um, and then when the 20 minutes is up, People, many people who practice centering prayer like to come back into the realm of words by reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's a great bridge between being beyond words and being in the world of words again is to allow the, the Lord's Prayer to bring you back in. And then take a minute, you know, just to slowly begin to reengage, you know, whatever is next for you in your life. And the other thing is to be sure and not to judge yourself at all, not to judge it or yourself or anything, because mostly what takes place in centering prayer is taking place at a level that's beneath our consciousness. And God is doing work that we can't even perceive most of the time. And the benefits of centering prayer are often experienced in our actual life with others. We might think, oh, nothing happened. I'm just not very good at this. Don't judge it like that, because in centering prayer, more than any other spiritual practice, perhaps, we are saying what most needs to be done in my life only God can do. And it's not up to me to judge, because my spiritual life is taking place at God's initiative. And whatever did or did not happen is up to God. I don't have to even judge it or evaluate it or try to get better at it, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. And then we, we do start to change over time. We, the, the, the emotional material that's got us all stuck, the unconscious places of unresolved wounds and things like that, they start to come up to the surface and 
we recognize them and God begins to break them up and guide us and lead us for what is needed in that area of our lives. And whatever else happens in the world, we're at least becoming more free, surrendered people. And then that becomes the person that we actually bring, you know, to whatever setting we're in. Doesn't that sound restful and good? I mean, to me, that sounds restful, inviting, helpful, and good. I, I hope people give it a shot. And let me say, folks, 20 minutes is going to feel like two hours at first. Mm -hmm. It really will. Yes. You'll, yes, you'll, you'll open that up. That is so true. You'll have this one eye open going, yeah, is this over yet? Did I set the timer? I think I didn't set the I must not have set the timer. Um, which actually, so in one of the little groups I'm, I'm in, we practice silence together and we do mm -hmm. 10 minutes, you know, together mm -hmm. as we do it. And one time it was like, it was the longest 10 minutes of our lives. I mean, it was just, yeah. it kept going and kept going. And then one of us kind of, it really was, it was longer than 10 minutes. So one of us looked up and said, did you set the timer, Chad? And he didn't. <laughs> so truly, who knows how long had passed. So that can so, happen too. <laughs> yeah, set your timer, folks. That's and then right, trust the timer, right. trust the timer. So our psalm for this week, I think, corresponds really beautifully to this issue that we have with imposing our own will on God's will. And it has to do with a deeper dynamic that we might be able to start to recognize as we practice centering prayer. And that is the dynamic of fear that underneath these programs for human happiness is fear the fear that I won't be able to get that, you know, that God's not going to give it to me, that I can't get it. And I'm not, so I'm not going to have the safety and the security and the love and the affection and the approval and the power and the control, you know, that there's this feeling of fear that if I don't do something, I'm not going to get what I need. Yeah. I'm not going to get what I want. And if we can pay attention to the dynamic underneath what's pushing our, our agendas, wow, then we're kind of really getting somewhere spiritually because then we can work with the issue of trust, which Psalm 27 is just so amazing to speak into that place that says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So the question of what am I afraid of when I'm pushing, when I can't just let anything be, what am I afraid of? Wow, that's a brave question right there. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. And then I love the way it transitions from this place of trust to saying, now, God, I'm wide open I'm really wide open to what you want to do in and through me. I don't have fear because I know that you're the stronghold of my life. So now teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me on a level path. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait. 
for the Lord. Mm, I love that. Yeah, Psalm 27 is so rich and so beautiful. It'd be something to sit with for the week. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you needed a psalm to sit with, that would be it. Well, I have a prayer that I would love to lead us in as we close. It's from the Iona Abbey Worship Book, one of my favorite worship resources. And it doesn't have a title, so I'll just dive right into it. God in the midst, come close to us and help us come close to you. As for a fraction of time, we step back from the activities of the day. May we treasure such moments with you. Moments when we can bring to you the things we are doing and find new meaning for them and new strength for doing them. And moments for recalling how we are meeting you already in the stuff of daily living and engagement when faith is tested and compassion is translated into action. So if, as the day goes on and we forget you, do not forget us, O God. Amen. Mm. Amen.